Manseth, how are you? It's been a time. I'm great. I'm as good as I can be. Yeah? We've had a wild few weeks since we last recorded. Uh, I feel like we owe our listeners an update on all the things going on. Okay, you first. Okay. I feel kind of bad when we compare our weeks. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, as I mentioned before... Uh, and in our intros to our, our re-aired episode, started a new job. Uh, I now work in student leadership at VCU, a uh, large public university in Richmond. Been a really exciting transition. I'm now at the end of week four in the position, which is hard to believe. Uh, but with that has come a move to Richmond and a lot of exciting changes kind of personally for Abby and I and making the move here and being in a neighborhood that we've come to really love. Winnie already thinks it's her neighborhood, so it's going well for her. Also, in this time period, successfully interviewed for ordination as a deacon in the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. So, still some things to take care of between now and this summer when ordination itself will actually happen, uh, but definitely celebrating a significant accomplishment at the end of a long process that I... I attribute the start to it in the summer of 2016, so about six years in the making. So a wild few weeks uh, (laughs) between moving and new job and preparing for that and all all this other stuff going on too. But I'm here. I made it. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason we, we took two weeks off i guess and re-aired those episodes is because you had all of those things planned but what we didn't know was that the retina in my left eye would come unattached and i would basically go blind in my left eye and need emergency surgery to stitch it back together from the inside and then they put a bubble in my eye that acted like a splint to hold everything in place And then I had to lie face down for five days straight, except every hour I got a 10-minute break. So basically, like, every 50 minutes I could look up for 10 minutes. But it it worked. I'm here. We're doing the podcast, and I can see out of my left eye. Like, it's amazing. It's it's wild how that all has just happened, you know? Like, you said it. We, we planned the break for very different reasons, but we needed it for a lot more reasons, too. But I'm excited to have set up my recording area in our new place, uh, still adjusting to all the background noises and things that are now part of city life here in Richmond, from vehicles driving by outside to... Uh, I mean, I dealt with a lot of sirens before, too, but hopefully there's nothing too distracting. But... I feel like all of this has been a distraction for what the people really want, Seth. And that's a very important question. What would you do in this particular situation? Where would it be more embarrassing to be naked? On a taping of an episode of Judge Judy? Or in a UFC fight against a trained fighter? Okay, I'm going with an episode of Judge Judy. Okay. Because because the UFC fight would be embarrassing. But, like, I feel like those people are already not wearing that many clothes. So, like, to be naked is just, like, one small additional 
step. Sure. But like in Judge Judy, like she's wearing the full judge's gown outfit. And everyone else is wearing like, you know, usually like slightly better than their average clothes. But then if I was naked, I would especially stand out. Yeah. Yeah, the question, the wording of the question is important. The question is, where would it be more embarrassing to be naked? Not more dangerous, not more inconvenient, but more <laughs> yeah. embarrassing. And I think you're exactly right, based on the comparison. And I would also say based on the duration of the experience. Because let's be honest, I'm not <laughs> yeah. lasting long in the octagon against a UFC fighter. But Judge Judy's in syndication, and that could be re-aired for the rest of time. I would go with Judge Judy as well. It would also be really embarrassing to have her, like, no pun intended, but, like, dress me down for being naked in her in her courtroom. Yeah, I'm sure she would do that. Oh, man. <laughs> it's funny. It's interesting, Seth, to think about how we are often in alignment on our segment that is supposed to pit us against each other. But we're often like, yeah, there's an obvious correct answer to this one. And we figured it out. So I guess we got to start training for our naked UFC fight. <laughs> I think we've gotten ourselves back into the swing of things, Seth. And so let's seal the deal getting into this episode. Are you ready to read our scripture for us? I have about one and a half eyes, but I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> this is Luke. Chapter 6, verses 27 to 38, from the Common English Bible. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks, and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way that you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting the way children of the Most High act, for he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good portion, packed down, firmly shaken, and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. Seth, even with one and a half eyes, beautifully read as always, what stood out to you as you read this passage from Luke? I'm pretty familiar with this passage, but every time I hear it, it's like one of the things that I wish Jesus didn't say, mm. because life would be a lot easier without this teaching. 
so I can feel this is like less of what I read and more of what I felt is this like this tension in myself like oh oh no like I gotta give to people who I don't think I'm gonna get this back from like oh man okay I gotta love my enemies oh can't I just love the people who I think are gonna love me back like I feel I feel my own resistance Mm. when I read this yeah I hear that too it's it's so striking and I think this passage might be familiar to a lot of us either in this form or it's very similar form in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount or at least a portion of it but you're exactly right I mean Jesus didn't teach these things because they were easy and straightforward and made sense and were natural they were directives to counteract I think a lot of the things that feel maybe intuitive to us or ingrained in us but what I find really interesting about this passage and its similar you know counterparts in Matthew is just how quick hitting it is you know like it's just like once you think you just got hit with one big thing here comes another you got the jab the jab the hook and then you're just really knocked out uh and (laughs) that was kind of the inspiration behind uh Part of the question, well, Seth, I, I want to hear from you a little bit about, you know, it, there's not too much more to offer without getting too in the weeds about the context of this passage, but I'm curious to hear from you a little bit more about the end of this passage. Like, you actually brought it up in your answer to the question, but what is this section, these last few verses, starting with don't judge and you won't be judged, don't condemn, you won't be condemned. How does that, how does that in particular land with you after all of this about loving your enemies and praying for those who are against you. I feel similarly about this as the rest. Like it was, it's almost, I think like human nature to do some judging. I wish that wasn't the case. We're always making like split second judgments. Not that all of them are, are negative, but we're, but we're making like these little decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. But this is this is so hard. Like not to try and resist those like innate impulses in order that we won't be judged in return. I just don't know. A, I don't know if it's possible. But B, I don't know if it works like that. Mm-hmm. I wish it. I wish. I could just sit here and say it does. But I don't know if not judging someone else that I meet also makes them not judge me. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's, maybe I'm applying this to people, but maybe like there's, there's something more theological about this. But I don't know. That's where that's where my head is. I'm not sure that it works the way that it, Jesus, or at least this passage, seems to assert that it works. I'm with you. I think there's a, there's something here that's not just challenging, but it also feels kind of disconnected. And I think an important thing to remember here is the social location of both speaker and audience at the time in the text and also us now. 
you know, Jesus was with and among and for the people who were on the edges. And so that's who this message is for. It's for people who are on the margins from someone who was on the margins. And I think where we get into trouble is mm-hmm. where we still send this same message to the margins without being on the margins ourselves. And I think we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of harm done and using Jesus's words, weaponizing them to encourage people to be forgiving and compassionate to people who are doing them real harm. But at the same time, there also seems to be a little tension in what Jesus is saying here too, and at least as it's rendered in the CEB, you know, back in verse 35, it talks about expecting nothing in return. And if you do, you'll have a great reward. And then that's what the, the passage ends with too, right? Is, you know, talking about this good portion that will fall into your lap. I'm thinking about yeah. a cup of brown sugar, honestly, when it says it's <laughs> packed down, firmly shaken and overflowing. It's just like this, man, Have you, you know when you take a cup of brown sugar and add it to the mixing bowl and it's just like kind of oozing over everything. It's just like so sweet and delicious. But it's like it started out being so packed down to get as much of that goodness into it as possible. That's what comes to mind. But it says the portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. And so it's this thing of like, we're not supposed to think about the, the return on investment, right? But if we, yeah. do, if we don't, then we'll get a good return on investment. And, so, and it also renders this notion, as you're suggesting, Seth, of kind of the question that uses some language used elsewhere in scripture of, do we actually reap what we sow? Do we get what we deserve? Here it says there are standards of love and compassion and being free from condemnation, from condemning others. There are these standards that tell us this is what you will reap if you do that. But both from Jesus's words of not being concerned about what we reap And from our lived experience, and I think the lived experience of many people who say that sometimes being loving and compassionate and forgiving means that you get run over and (laughs) trampled on, (laughs) there really seems to be a disconnect there. Years ago, this pastor told me this story. Uh, He worked in this small church, like in the country, and this man would come to him every year. And he would ask him for some firewood. And the pastor would, like, he would say, okay, like, I'll get you some. And he'd coordinate with people in his congregation to get this man some firewood. Because he thought, oh, he, like, he needs it to warm his house. This winter, it's going to be cold. And then one day, he was driving down the road. And he sees the man on the side of the road selling all this firewood. And you guys, he's been, he's been scamming me. All this time, he comes and he, he gives me this sad story about how he needs firewood and I get it from him. And then he goes and he's been selling it. And the pastor told me, I, he goes, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I stopped giving him firewood. I remember him telling me that story and I remember his, his response because I think it's so mature and so helpful that he, re- he even recognizes in himself, like, well, maybe Jesus would keep giving him the firewood. 
but I'm not there yet. Mm. Like he, he's like, no, I, you know, I know that I'm supposed to give and not expect anything in return. But he's like, well, I'm not quite there. You're helping me get into a conversation about what's the point, Seth. So let's go there. Because I think that highlights a really important tension. Like, it, it, I mean, we're talking about this, right? We know what things are supposed to look like. We know, at least we think we know, how we're supposed to behave based on this passage. And yet, there's something so transactional about the way that we view our lives sometimes that I think sometimes we think we get it or are doing it better than others. So I'll take us back to the the start of our episode today. Just thinking about the last few weeks of our lives. I don't want to speak for you, but I'll speak for me in this situation. I was sharing some of these exciting things with a friend of mine. And she sent me a reference from The Simpsons that I love. Uh, about how, I don't know if you've watched The Simpsons at all, but there's a character named Milhouse, who's just kind of the nerdy loser of a best friend to Bart Simpson, who things just don't go his way. Like, it's kind of comedic relief regularly of how sorry his life is going. And every once in a while, some one small thing, like insignificant thing, will go right, and he'll look up with pride and confidence and say, everything's coming up Millhouse. (laughs) (laughs) And my friend referenced that saying, wow, everything's coming up Jonathan right now. You know, good job, good apartment, like all this exciting stuff, these changes that I'm really happy about, like that I was looking forward to. Like it is a tremendous privilege to be able to relocate your family based on a job opportunity that's very exciting that you didn't have to pursue out of necessity and it got it got me kind of in the headspace of like yeah like i must have done i must have done it right you know i must have done something right to deserve this and and like you know i must have my hard work paid off like whatever it is everything's coming up jonathan good news about ordination when that was not the case for everyone that I know was applying. It's like, it got real easy for me to connect these great things happening to my own behavior to take credit for Mm -hmm. them. And then you can imagine the other situations where that all just comes (laughs) crashing down uh, of, you know, last night, honestly, was kind of a rough night. I sat down on our couch and it just broke. A picture that I hung on the wall just fell. Like, all these things culminating in just, like, frustration. It's like, I get caught up in this thing of, like, I thought I was doing well. I thought I was doing the right thing. And getting the reward, that tightly packed, overflowing reward that Jesus is talking about here. And then seemingly out of nowhere, it just all falls away. And there's clearly something wrong with my framing about how we experience life how things happen to us in life, too. I don't know. I know that was a lot. But I'm wondering if you've had any similar thoughts over the past few weeks as you've navigated what I can only imagine is 
just a really disruptive and challenging experience. If any of this kind of connects to some of that for you too. Yeah, I had like um, almost the opposite experience where I was like, oh, things are really going down, Seth. Like, um, just before my my retina detachment, my mom slipped and fell on the snow and broke her wrist. So she had surgery um, the same week that I did on my eye. She had surgery on her wrist. And at one point, I just thought, man... Like, what are we doing? Are we doing something wrong here? Like, I first my mom's surgery, then my surgery. Like, what's going on here? It's like, we're being hit from, like, every direction. I just wondered, like, is something... I don't know, like, am I being punished for something that I did? Mm. <sighs> I just had to... I don't know. That's telling to me, because if I sat down and I wrote a theology paper... Like, I would never say that. But then when when the rubber meets the road, I'm like, man, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. And it's like the difference between what is my expressed theology and then what theologies have like I've been harboring inside. And I just keep coming back to the fact that I don't think that it works in a way that's so transactional. No, me neither. Like that. I hope I didn't get the bad portion, the one that's not packed down, that's loosely shaken. It's like hollow in the middle because I did something poorly or wrong in the exactly. past. And, I... and I'm also like thoroughly superstitious of the fact that like, I brought about the bad stuff by talking about how good things were going to. Like, <laughs> Wait, I totally resonate with yeah, that. But you're so spot on, though. It's like there's this disconnect with, I think if we sit down and have a conversation about it, and I would say that maybe most people of faith, at least that I in the circles I run in, would do the same thing. Like, it's not, it's not a question of, you know, what bad did we put in that we're getting bad out we know the world doesn't work that way because so many people put good in and get crap out and so many people just put crap in and just continue to reap the benefits of a system that's been shaped in their favor but at the same time it feels like jesus is offering us here a different perspective and i think it might be less of kind of what i framed earlier of there's a transaction here, but you're not allowed to think about it. <laughs> and more so talking about the invitation to be rewarded from the freedom of having a transactional mindset about the world around mm -hmm. us. I mean, I believe, I think deep down, I believe there's more to it than that, both in what happens to us and what may happen for us. But I think we're getting dangerously close to some things around prosperity gospel if we just do good to get good in return. And if we instead change our mindset to thinking about doing good because that's what we're called to do, we begin to liberate ourselves from that, that cycle of, well, I must be doing something right, I must be doing something wrong because things are going good, things are going bad. The anxiety that is just fueling and is fueled by that cycle 
is its own dangerous cycle of just trying to make it from day to day. But it feels like Seth, we're on to, maybe onto something here about thinking less about transaction, moving away from that and thinking more about loving others and showing compassion to mm-hmm. others and not condemning others being the framework to open us up into something new and vibrant, even if by our perception, sometimes things might be going better than other times. Yeah. It's helpful to just like throw out that entire transactional model. I just always think like, that's how businesses think. Like what can we do that will give us a return on our investment? But I just think like that's not that's not how Jesus thinks. Yeah. There's this poem. It's called Love Your Enemy by Yusef Iman. It was written in nineteen sixty six, uh, during kind of the height of the civil rights struggle. And he writes about the ways that the phrase loving your enemy can be applied harmfully to communities that are marginalized. Uh, And we mentioned that just briefly, but it's probably one of my favorite poems. So I'll put a link to it in the description of this podcast episode if people want to check that out. Yeah, Seth. And I think I'll I'll incorporate a few of these words from Iman into my into my prayer. How's that sound? That'd be wonderful. Let's pray. God of the harvest. We've seen you bear fruit in the wilderness. Draw water from the rock and bring bread from dew. Help us to recognize the fruit in our lives, the harvest, however abundant or barren, especially when we are with and among those we tend to cast aside. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who forgives freely and loved his enemies. Jesus Christ. And in the words of Iman, forced to live in slums, love your enemy. Dilapidated schools, love your enemy. Puts you in jail, love your enemy. Bitten by dogs, love your enemy. Water hose you down, love your enemy. Love, 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 love for everybody else. But when will we love ourselves? Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're looking at the story of Jesus' transfiguration. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. It's so interesting to me because, like, it's really the difference between, like, what is my expressed theology and like what's my what's my theology that I've embedded <laughs> holy crap it's a super, it's, it's a super loud car that scared that the crap out of my ear too he was just sleeping okay you've been so good oh, oh. Okay. oh that hurt my ear okay <laughs>